0: kind of a history buff and one of my heroes during the world war ii was an industrialist he was a wealthy man he was a spy and he was a member of the nazi party actually you might have remembered his name his name was oscar schindler does that name ring a bell to you Back in 1993, a movie was made about his life. It was called Schindler's List. If you haven't watched it, it's well worth your time. Schindler owned a munitions factory in Poland. He was really sickened by what he was seeing uh, happen with the Nazis and, and uh, how they killed thousands, hundreds of thousands even millions of Jews. He created a plan, though. If he could figure out how to purchase these Jewish slaves, that's what they really were, if he could figure out how to purchase them, and then he would ship them to Poland, and he would put them to work doing sometimes menial jobs, then he could figure out a way that he could not only do his business, but he could help them escape into freedom. And with this plan, he was able to save 1,200 Jews, men, women, and children during those very difficult years. During World War II, there were 400,000 Jewish slaves that uh, were held in around 500 camps throughout Germany. And though they were prisoners, they spent most of their days working for other employers. Sometimes it was a farm. Sometimes they were milking cattle. Maybe they were helping with the harvest, stacking hay, tending crops. But they were were slaves, but yet they were free. They didn't have to stay in the camps. But the farmer would pay them with food. And sometimes allow them to sleep in the barn. They, if that's perhaps one way you might understand the exile of what we're talking about today during Daniel's day. The Jewish exiles, exiled from their promised land in Israel, both the kingdoms of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, the 12 tribes... They were exiled into other countries as captives. And during this time, Babylon experienced a bit of a prosperity and growth. They had free slave labor. They had the best artists. They had the best thinkers and philosophers and mathematicians coming out of Israel And so they enjoyed this great time of growth in Babylon. Many of the new buildings and great pieces of art honoring Nebuchadnezzar were created by these Jewish exiles, these slaves. The king was smart enough to recognize the talent that he was able to pull out of Israel. And he even handpicked several of the best and the brightest to serve as special advisors. This is where we meet several young men. We might know them or even sing songs about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, right? And even if you haven't read the Bible much, you've probably heard of Daniel in the lion's den and perhaps remember the story of three friends, that were thrown into a fiery furnace. A little bit hotter than it is today. Just a little bit. But the question that I would like for us to focus on this morning is, how should God's people respond during times of difficulty? There are four primary stories in Daniel that I would like to just very quickly introduce us to. Daniel was one of the major prophets. Daniel lived during around 600 to early 500 BC. He was one of the very last prophets before the people went back, the remnant went back to Israel. Uh, This was, uh, last week I mistakenly said there were 300 years of silence. It was 400 years of silence that happened after Daniel's death. But he was one of the last prophets that was in exile. And I just want to quickly look at how these Hebrew men responded in difficult circumstances. The first little vignette, we call it imprisonment and and training, it, uh, it was dealing with the issue of character over comfort. It's the story in Daniel chapter one. Daniel has been captured by the, by the Babylonians and was forced to move to Babylon along with all of the other educators, businessmen, artists, the wealthy, the government leaders. Babylon didn't want those that... that didn't have a skill or couldn't read or weren't educated. They wanted the best. So they went through the land and they began to handpick those high leaders in the politics or the the professors or the wealthy and moved them out into Babylon. They were exiled. King Nebuchadnezzar had a subtle plan to destroy the Hebrew culture. Nebuchadnezzar realized that the best way to subdue a people group was not to persecute them, but to slowly mold them into becoming Babylonian themselves. His strategy was to absorb them into Babylonian culture and life. He opened doors of opportunity for them. He placed them on the fast track to Babylonian success. His strategy was to take the best and the brightest from Judah and then place them in the best Babylonian schools and offer them scholarship and free room and free board and free everything. And the scripture says in 1, 4, he says, we will teach them Babylonian language and literature. And it doesn't say it, but what he means is also We will teach them Babylonian engineering and Babylonian theology and Babylonian medicine and political science. We want them to think just like us, not like their old culture. And when they are so thoroughly indoctrinated, their followers will become honorable citizens of Babylon instead of enemies of Israel. That was the goal of Nebuchadnezzar. Basically, he wanted the Jews to become lulled into accepting a new godless context. Well, Daniel was determined not to be dulled by acceptable behavior. The king ordered that these young advisors, who were without physical defect, and who had great learning, who looked like male models for GQ magazine, nothing was wrong with them. He wanted them to be given the very best training that Babylon could provide. They were given rich foods and wines. After three years of Babylonian education and rich foods, they were then to enter into the king's service. What a reward for them, right? Right? It was not that big of a deal, right? It, all it was was just kids doing good things, right? The scripture says in 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. Daniel asked that a test be allowed, that his colleagues and, and, and he would only be able to eat just vegetables and water. And after 10 days, then they were to be tested to see how they compared with all of those who who were to eat all of the rich foods and and drink the best wines. He decided to do what he decided not to do what seemed to be acceptable, but that which honored God. Well, Daniel determined to keep his identity in his God. He didn't want to follow what man wanted. The Babylonian king was putting his trust in rich foods. And, and man's education. And Daniel and his friends fasted. And trusted God for his best. Can I tell you what benefits of his decision to put God first was? He and his Hebrew friends were healthier. And more well nourished. In 15 and 17, they were gifted with knowledge and understanding. In verse 20, they were found to be outstanding in their fields of training. That's pretty impressive. So even in his early years of leadership, Daniel began to live a pattern of integrity as he dealt with peer pressure. And he was going to have peer pressure all throughout his entire story. But it was not long before Daniel's commitment to godly integrity was put to a test. The way he responded truly meant the difference between life and death. So now we move to another vignette, another story. It was the story of the fiery furnace. I've preached about that here before. It was really a story in Daniel 3 of confession over convenience. Nebuchadnezzar was a bit full of himself to say the least. He had a statue made of himself, made out of gold. It was 90 feet tall. Now, I think that's a bit of an overkill. 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Now, I'm not much of an engineer, but I would want a base a lot bigger than that, but that's what the scripture says. It could have been attached to a cliff. We really don't know. But it stood out in the plain of Dura so everyone around could see it. His leader said, O king, make everyone bow down and worship you. If they, don't, if they don't bow down, they would have to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, the leaders report to the king, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. their Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God you have set up. And the king was furious with rage and had them arrested. Well, the Jews responded with a confession of faith that states who their true God is. I love this passage. They say, if we, O King, are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. That's faith. And he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, that was a backbone, wasn't it? And their confession influenced others to worship God. Well, the king decided to Turn up the little knob on the furnace, or really throw some more wood in. Turned it up seven times hotter than what was normal. They were thrown into the fire. Those that threw them into the fire, the guards died. The king looks in, and he was shocked. The scripture says, he said, weren't there three men that we tied up? and threw into the fire. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unarmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Notice how their confession of faith affected others. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Nebuchadnezzar, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And he goes on to command everyone to worship their God because of their confession that he alone was worthy of their praise. That God was alone worthy of their praise. It was because they stood up as men of integrity even in very difficult times. Well, the third vignette is the story of of the writing on the wall. It's the story of truthfulness during testing. It's found in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel was invited to use his God-given gifts in a very dark place. The story is this. King Belshazzar was having a drunken party with thousands of his nobles. He wanted to show off. The spoils of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, you might remember that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the kings that went into Israel and pulled the Israelites out into exile, and in one of the trips they went to the temple and stole all of the golden instruments that were used for sacrifice and worship and stole them and brought them back to Babylon So this is the context of the story. He gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. The holy instruments stolen out of Solomon's temple that had been dedicated to worshiping the one true God. That was a poke in the eye of God, wasn't it? Well, the story gets worse. In verse 4, it says, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It was a It was a purposeful poke in the eye to the one true God. And suddenly, the scripture says, the fingers of a man begin to write on a wall in Aramaic. It said, many, many, tickle parson. It was in Aramaic. None of the king's wise men or magicians could translate it. Suddenly, they remembered that there was this one godly man that they had thrown into prison before. His name was Daniel, and he was gifted in understanding prophecy. He had done it before to Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe today, the grandson could get some benefit from this. The king said, I have heard that the spirit of God is in you, Daniel. That you have insight, intelligence, and understanding, and wisdom. Now I want you to step into the mind and the shoes of Daniel right now. He knew what had been written. And it promised the destruction of the king's kingdom and the death of the king, what would you do? He knew what many, many Tickle Parson meant. He knew that God was telling Daniel and the king that the kingdom would be destroyed and the king would die himself. Now what was he to do? Well, we find in 22 through 24 that Daniel spoke the truth, even though it could have meant the ending of his own life. Verse 22 says, you did not obey what you already knew to be true, Belshazzar. You purposely poked the eye of God by using sacred items to celebrate idolatry. Your kingdom will quickly come to an end. Can you imagine the oxygen being sucked out of that room right then? I <gasps> can't believe he said that. And as you can imagine, there was, these were not pleasurable words that the king was hearing. The scripture says, but the king respected his bravery to tell the truth and had had Daniel clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest in all of the land. Interestingly, the prophecy took place immediately. Verse 30, it says, that very night. Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. There's a fourth story. It's the it's the story of the lion's den. It's a story of steadfastness when things were really unfair. Now, those of you who have studied uh, philosophy, there was a a man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. He was not a believer. He was agnostic. But he he gave a quote that is very meaningful, even to me. he, He wrote about a long obedience in the same direction. And I think the same could be said of Daniel. Throughout Daniel's entire life, there was this Long committed obedience to God in the same direction. When people talked about Daniel, they would go, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know of his life of integrity, his life of prayer, his life of commitment to the one true God. By the time we get to this story, Daniel is 80 to 90 years old. He had now become basically one of the three men right under the king. He had significant leadership. When he snapped his fingers, things happened. He had servants. He had a bank account. He he had a palace. He had everything that he needed, even as a Jew. But everyone knew who Daniel was, even with that amount of authority. Deep down inside, they knew he was a man of integrity. Just do a quick survey of the last few chapters. In chapter one, he resolved not to defile himself. Again, in chapter one, he was full of knowledge and understanding. In, verse, in chapter six, they could find no corruption in him. In chapter six, he was found innocent. And the several kings that he worked for observed this holy response and this this leader of integrity. They put him into positions of great leadership because of his wisdom and his integrity. They spoke of these gifts that he had, and they were amazed at how he responded under pressure. He responded how? With prayer, with commitment, with one direction, with one focus, On the one true God. And chapter 6, verse 3 says Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Do you remember that he's a Jew? He's a foreigner, exiled, and the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps, which which are government officials, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to. Basically, he was so respected that they were jealous. That's really what it was. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And unfortunately for them, that was a problem. (laughs) He was a great guy. He was honest. He was trustworthy. They could not find anything against him. Well, their plan was to pull the wool over the king's eyes because the king really loved Daniel. He was just about to make him the leader. And they then created a... a, Behind the scenes, they created a law that said that if anyone prayed to any other god other than the king... For, the, for 30 days, for the, a certain 30-day period, they would be killed by lions. You see, the administrators knew that what Daniel would do. In fact, they had watched him all of his life. They knew exactly what Daniel would do when put under pressure. He prayed. When his life was in danger, he prayed. When he had to make a big decision, he prayed. When people asked him for wisdom in answers, he prayed. When he had to face the king with bad news, he prayed. When all was just a normal day, he prayed. And they knew how he would respond to this new law. He would pray. Let me ask you this question. The people that know you well, that have watched your life, that you do business with, that you live with, do they know how you will respond when things get tough? You see, steadfastness was Daniel's middle name. They knew exactly what he would do. Well, Daniel, when under pressure, did what he always did. He prayed. Notice that Daniel wasn't interested in hiding his faith even when he heard what the law was, even when he heard what the the outcome of praying to another god would be instead of the king. Scripture says now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows were opened toward Jerusalem. So they were facing west. Three times a day. He got down on his knees, and very publicly, so that everyone could hear him through the open windows, he prayed, giving thanks to God, listen, just as he had done before. It wasn't by accident. He wasn't going to pray today and not pray tomorrow. Everyone knew that Daniel was a prayer. Why? His life was open. His windows were open. He prayed three times a day in good days and bad days when things were good, when things were bad, whenever he was up, whenever he was down, whenever he was a king's friend, when he was in the prison, Daniel was going to pray steadfast. He always went there to pray, to his own house. When he heard the news, he didn't go pray behind the barn, in the woods, hiding in a pit somewhere. He knew he had to go home. Why? Because everyone knew where Daniel prayed. And he prayed where they could find him. He wasn't hiding from them. He opened his windows, so that everyone could hear him pray. Parents, do your kids hear you pray? Grandparents, make sure your bedroom door is open whenever you're praying for your grandkids and they're staying over all night. Pray at your dining room table. Make sure Do your kids accidentally walk by your prayer room and hear you praying? Let them see you standing with your Bible in your hand. Make sure they see you kneeling and your scripture is in front of them. Make sure they know you are praying for them. Daniel wanted to make sure the entire community knew even during very difficult days, even though this is going to take my life, I want everyone to know I will pray, I will pray. He did it in verse 10, just like he always had. Now, certainly the rest of the story is well worth reading, and I hope right before you're in nap this afternoon, you'll read the rest of the story. Guess what? He was caught praying. Not really. Grammy, nobody catches Daniel praying. He was praying because that's what he did every day. He was caught praying. The king whose, the wall had been pulled over his, the, the friend king's eyes. The king had to bring down the punishment that he had promised everyone. Daniel, his friend, was thrown into the lion's den for a whole night. The scripture says the lion's mouths were shut. No harm came to the old prophet. The king, early in the morning, ran out to see if Daniel was alive, his friend, and the administrators and their families, who had made this really awful law, they were thrown in the the lion's den, so the lions could eat breakfast. And they ate well that morning. The king was won over by Daniel's steadfast response to serve God even under unfair circumstances. And we tend to focus on the end of the story, and rightly so, it's a really good end to the story, but the way... Daniel responded, was just as he had done his entire life. He was steadfast. Daniel's steadfast response to unfairness began with a practice that he had been developing even in the good times. He didn't wait until the bad times to start praying. When he was under pressure, he prayed. When his life was in danger, he prayed. When he had to face the king with with bad news, he prayed. When all was just a normal day, he prayed. Even in the good times, he created this, this everyday steadfastness, and he prayed. Can I ask you what your normal response to difficulty is? what does your friend what do your friends expect you to do when things get rough because they've watched you they've watched how you respond when you get the bad news when you get laid off when you get the news about that relative or somebody does you wrong how have you showed them how have you responded i hope it is the same as daniel he prayed. Would you please stand? After after reading and studying, spending a lot of time on the sermon, this morning, out on my deck at 6 30 in the morning when it was 112 on my deck, (laughs) close to it, I got my Bible out and I decided I would read over the story again. I've read it like you dozens of times. And I began to look at a a Bible bookmark in my Bible that you all have. We have them outside and it kind of gives some dates of when certain major things happened in the Old Testament and New Testament and who lived when. And I saw that Daniel, that, that uh, the God's people, the remnant, went back to Israel in 536 BC. 536, and then I began to do some research. Daniel, who lived in exile all of this time, do you know what year he died? You're right. 536 Daniel was not one who went back with the remnant Daniel's entire life was a test of his integrity He was thrown into prison He was done wrong He was thrown into the lion's den Laws were written specifically for Daniel to break. And how did Daniel respond? He responded with prayer, he responded with integrity. And even the year that the Israelites got to go back to see their beautiful Jerusalem again, Daniel stayed. And he passed away probably before that event even took place. Because Daniel and his three friends took a stand, Babylonians who did not know their God turned to him, turned back to God. Can I tell you, God still does great and mighty things to attract people to him even when they are living in difficult times, perhaps even living in exile. He used people just like you and just like me. When we resist the pull of comforts of a similar alien land and live the way God wants us to, our friends and our neighbors, our colleagues, perhaps entire cities... They'll turn to God. Maybe, just maybe, exile isn't such a bad place to be after all. I invite you just to close your eyes with me this morning. As I was sitting here, I begin to wonder if God has not been speaking to some of you about some of those times that you did not respond well. And right now, you're perhaps kicking yourself, wishing you would have done a better job, wishing you would have made a better decision, a better disciple of Christ. And can I just say, God is a God of redemption and forgiveness and healing. And so, Father, this morning, we recognize that there are times that we did not act as Daniel did. We didn't respond with integrity, we didn't respond with holiness in our voice. But, Father, we lay them before you, and we know that Satan would love to use them as, as stepping stones for us to fail over and over because we remember we had failed that one time. But Father, we ask your forgiveness. And we ask, Father, that you would redeem those opportunities. That in the future, as we walk before you, we will walk with justice. We will walk with integrity. We will walk with holiness. And Father, we want you to know that we so desire to live a life as Daniel did A life that everyone knows how we will respond. We will respond with integrity, with justice, with mercy, with faith, with holiness. We ask your forgiveness and we dedicate our lives to honor you in all ways. In Christ's name, amen. Would you receive this benediction? Daniel's king was so impressed with his faith-filled response of integrity and steadfastness as he was pulled out of the lion's den unscathed. May the king's benediction be yours as well. The king said this, for he is the living God who endures forever his kingdom will never be destroyed his dominion will never end he rescues and he saves he performs signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth so now In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, go in peace, for he's already gone before you. You're dismissed.